Thank you, worship team. Because that's what we've been doing. We've been having the opportunity to worship together, to be reminded how great our God is. Hello to everybody in the lounge as well, and whoever will be hearing this message in the coming days and weeks, we pray that God will speak to you. Just turn to the person beside you or behind you and just say hello. Just give them a little wave and say, good to see you. If you haven't seen someone for a little while, just say hello. Amen. Okay. One of the the great opportunities that we have as Christians is not only to know our God and our Saviour, but to get to know each other as well and to encourage each other on. And I think this is a great opportunity. We, we do that. We can have that after the service as well. And that's so great. But it doesn't have to be just on a Sunday or a couple of hours on a Sunday. or It can be any time, catching up, meeting people, connecting in, making that phone call, and just staying connected staying invested and praying for each other. Heavenly Father, we pray today in this next few moments that you would speak through me and that the words I speak will be spirit, life and truth. Nothing of Louis, nothing of this, this flesh and this body or this mind, but only what you want me to share, only what you want me to say. So I surrender. I surrender to you. And I pray, Lord, that we all can surrender our hearts to your word this morning, that it may not be anything new, but actually bear witness to what you are already saying to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to look at the book of Ephesians chapter 4, which is amazing. And I just encourage you, if you've forgotten a little bit about chapters 1 and 2 and 3, I encourage you to reread them again. Because a lot of what we're building up to now and stepping into is, is built on the platform and the premise of what has already been said. Understanding that our belief determines our behaviour. So we can believe something to be true and it determines what we think is true but maybe not necessarily what is truth. And so that's the journey. So a few weeks ago, I mentioned in Ephesians 4 that Paul starts off in verse 1, won't be on the screen, I don't have that scripture with me today, but it says that he goes, I urge you to walk worthy. I urge you to walk worthy. He says, I insist I want to compel you, I want to challenge you, you've got to walk worthy. Well, after communion, what do we do? How do we do that? How do we walk worthy? What does God want from me? What does God want from you? And in the context of spiritual maturity, what is it? What is spiritual maturity? How would you define it? What does it look like? What does it sound like? So Paul starts to lay that out and he says in verse 2, he goes on to say, with all, 
humility. Now some, all, all humility, gentleness, and patience. So all humility, all gentleness, and all patience. Man, that's just, in myself, that's tough. <laughs> Particularly the last one, patience. That's hard. And he says, then you're going to wrap them all up in love and then they're bound together in unity. And so we looked at that. We looked at our, the works and the gifts that we have, the mission that we have, and that we are ministry worthy. What we're learning is that, that if Jesus says you're okay, you're okay. If Jesus says you are worthy, you are worthy. Why do we argue with him? Oh, I'm, a, I'm this and I'm that and I, I don't do this and I don't do that. And we just pick on ourselves all day and then the Holy Spirit is like, come on. Haven't you read the scriptures? So Paul wants to take this spiritual maturity to a whole new level and he hits it hard. Hits it really hard, right between the eyes. I hope I'm going to be a bit sweeter than Paul because Paul, Paul is straight down the line on this. We're going to have a look at this and we're going to read a few verses and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail today because these next 21, 22 verses you could spend 12 months on. But I hope that what I say will be what God will be speaking to you about. So in verse 12 it says that we, are, we have the ascension gifting so we're, we understand he's given these gifts and it says to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we reach the unity in the faith. And in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man or woman with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. There's a lot just there. Verse 14, then no longer will be like little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind and teaching and doctrine. There was some persecution going on around about the church. There were things that were easily distracting the church and the believers from keeping their eyes on Jesus. So let's get caught up on all these new doctrines and these new teachings that people are raising up around about you. By human cunningness and cleverness and techniques, Techniques, doesn't sound like I'm saying that right, of deceit. Here's a tip as a preacher. If you're going to be preaching, don't brush your teeth in the morning. Anyway, don't go near the preacher even near the morning, in the morning. It dries your mouth out. Anyway, verse 15 says, But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Verse 16, from him, the whole body is fitted and knitted together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body and by building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. So Paul says to the church now, hey church in Ephesus, now you've got some understanding about who Jesus is and what Jesus wants to do, but now in this practical sense, in this outworking sense, time to grow up. Don't, have, don't hold on to those excuses. Don't say we, we don't know and we don't know how to do this, we don't know how to do that. You have everything you need if you have Jesus. It starts with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. 
He's the first and the last. So here we get a sense where Jesus is the source, the origin of this growth. I'm not, He is in me. Before I became a Christian, I never read a book. Never read a book, had no interest in reading. I wished I, wished I did, wished I had. But when I became a Christian, I started reading the Bible and I, I'm reading probably about 20 books at, straight at, at the moment, right now. I can't stop reading. I have such a hunger in my, my just to learn about Jesus, just to keep growing in Him and being all that He's called me to be. He is the source of this growth. He changes us from the inside out. The church should be a functioning as a whole, individual parts working side by side together like an engine with the oil of God over all those moving parts. There are gifts deployed and then the body grows. It becomes healthier and a healthier version and witness of Christ. And then Jesus says, then we're on the road, we're on the path to being mature, spiritual maturity. Because then Jesus, and Jesus exactly, in all His fullness, is living in us. And that is demonstrated by life, His life, and power, His power. In verse 17, therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you shall no longer walk as the Gentiles did. There were many Gentiles in the church. There was Jews and Gentiles. And the Gentiles wanted to go back to their way of thinking, their educated paths. And, and he says this, that they were darkened in their understanding, excluded, other words, cut off from the life of God because of their ignorance or moral blindness that was in them and because of their hardness of heart. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity and a desire for more and more and the things that they were doing, things that were going on in the culture of the day, like what's happening in our world right now, it'd be hard to even say it in the pulpit. So this got me thinking, what do you think is the top one, two or three issues that stops people from encountering Jesus, stops them from entering into the kingdom of heaven. Well, many of us would say probably the one thing we would say is sin. Sin stops people from knowing Jesus. We'd say unbelief and pride. But if you were to ask God the Father, what do you say would be the top three? He changes it. He says pride. Pride will stop my spirit turning up. Pride will resist me. In Proverbs, God says, I hate pride. I hate the, that stuff of the flesh. That's what circumcision was all about in the old covenant. And when it now says that we are circumcised in heart, circumcised to cut off something and, and dedicate unto God, to pledge unto God. God would say pride. God would say sin and unbelief and all those other issues. 
You've got to remember the essence, the definition of sin the, is the, the essence of sin is selfishness. I struggle a little bit with that. You've heard the story that I have a bag, a bag of chocolates as a kid and it goes back to that trauma event. I gave all my lollies out when I got back and sat down there was no lollies left. And still to this day, you won't see me going around too much. I'm learning that Jesus lives in me to hand the chocolates out. At our picnic, we did that, didn't we? Susan and David, we got the chocolates. Well, in fact, Gabe brought the chocolates. I did help hand them out. So we're learning. See, Jesus has died for the whole world. Don't we tell people that? Don't we say that Jesus has died for people? Isn't that the message? Don't we go out the street and say, hey, you know, the good news is Jesus died for you. Huh? Yeah. Jesus died for the whole world. Surely he's powerful enough in destroying the power of sin that people can come to salvation. But they don't because pride stops them from recognising and seeing who Jesus is. Because pride, pride blinds our eyes and closes our ears. You could have the devil standing here right now and you could tell him all the things that Jesus has done. Everything that he's done, who God is, everything. And he'll still be like this. Don't believe you. Because he's blinded by pride and arrogance. Think about this. What happened in heaven? There was conflict in heaven. Pride brought conflict into heaven. The most sacred arenas ever. The magnificence of God's dwelling and there was conflict in there. Because Lucifer thought that he could be God. I'm gonna take God on. Because God made him in a magnificent way. Magnificent. Right up there. The chief of all chiefs. But what brought him down? Pride. And what can bring us down is the same. Pride is the problem. Pride repels Christ. So my prayer has to be, Lord, is there anything in me any way that is offensive to you, anything that's stopping you being all that you need to be in me, show me what it is, because I don't want to be that. I don't want it there. If we hear about cancer in our bodies, we, what do we do? We go get it cut out. You can leave it there, but we do everything to get rid of it. I want to get rid of everything that is Louis, because I want more of Jesus to come in. I want him to occupy this body that this would be a temple for the Holy Spirit. This would be a vessel that carries that magnificent treasure. That's the call. Pride was also entered into the garden, but we'll talk about that another day for time. So Paul is starting to deal with these subtle issues here at work. Pride is the problem. And when pride envelopes a marriage or a family or a couple or individuals, then we are being robbed of what God wants to say and do. And Paul starts to tackle this, verse two. Get rid of all this stuff. He says, all humility. Humility is being like Jesus. 
who didn't consider it unfair that he would leave heaven. And that's a big deal. He would leave eternity in the glorious splendor of heaven come down to this. And everything that God is asking of us is what He's willing to do. So pride can be the problem. When a pride enters into a home and a family or a church, it is destructive. But you know what? You can't even see it. Years ago, some people would say, probably not so often, but every now and then someone would come and say, that was a great message. And I say, oh, no, I give, all the God, or give, it to, give it to Jesus. It's the backside of pride. Appreciate that, thank you. What is it in our lives that would restrict God flowing, friends? I challenge you with this. I'm challenged with this. I want to live, I want to be the real deal. And this is the challenge for us. This is what the church needs to look like and this is why Paul is addressing these issues. Let's keep moving forward. A spiritual church requires, or a spiritual family or individual requires truth. That we're growing in truth. In verse 20 it says that, but this is not how you learned about the Messiah, assuming that you have heard of Him and have been taught by Him because the truth is in Jesus. So keep our eyes on Jesus. If we're gonna grow, we keep our eyes on Jesus. As soon as I start looking at stuff and problems, I restrict my growth. Because that becomes what dominates my life. And like you, there can be tension with that. I'm a straight shooter, I like to call it straight. I don't like the fluff about. Has it got me in trouble? <laughs> trouble is my middle name. I've got to learn how to have it seasoned with salt and grace in my words. I think I said something the other day and I triggered something with Gabe and I thought, oh yep, I know. I've probably said the wrong thing just there. And so we're growing and we're learning how to speak in His truth. And be that what Jesus has called us to be. And there's less of Louis every day and that will be the journey until we get to heaven. But God wants us not to give up too early. Reflecting the very nature and life of Jesus. Spiritual maturity requires doing something. Look at what it says. We take off and look at the old nature, the flesh component, the body. And he says, put on a new nature and become that new person. Well, how do we do that? We have to put off to put on. I'm sure everybody is wearing clothes right now. I can't see in the lounge, but I'm assuming that's what the case is. You either keep your clothes on and put your jammies on tonight over your clothes. I don't need to think too much about it, but all I say is this. I'm not wearing these clothes to bed tonight. I put off and I put on. And as Christians, we start laying up. I'm not gonna put on, I'm gonna put, I put on another two pairs of pants. Sometimes when we go for walks, it's cold, I've got two pairs of pants on. I feel like the Michelin man. 
trying to walk down the street. Coats and jackets. Dave laughs at me sometimes. Why you got so many layers on? I said, I'm a big baby. I do. We put off. Look at this, verse 22. You took off the former way of life. You stopped. You took it off. You didn't try and put something else on top. You took it off. The old self that is corrupted with deceitful desires and you are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You have put on the new self, the one created according to the God's likeness. There's the, there's the gem. In righteousness and purity and truth. So we are on a journey of being made in, in the righteousness. We have His righteousness has been imputed to us. Not ours, because our righteous acts are as filthy as dirty rags. We've got nothing to give God. I've got nothing to give God that God will say, oh, that's great, Louis, thank you. He doesn't want the flesh stuff. He doesn't want the carnality. He doesn't want my opinions. He doesn't want my ideas. He wants Jesus to be living and flowing in me. And then when that happens, I'm representing everything that he died for. And that's what changes the world. And that's why if we don't get this in chapter four, then we're gonna have a real battle with chapter five. It talks a lot about relationships. And then chapter six, spiritual warfare. Because there ain't gonna be flesh and blood in that warfare, friends. It's gonna be Christ in you. We'll leave that for another day. I love what this put off means. It means that when a ship is at a port that's docked, that it means to lift up the anchor. It's a picture of lifting up the anchor. A ship cannot set sail when the anchor is in. It has to pull it up. And we cannot do what God's called us to do by just trying to keep on with the stuff without putting off to rather put on. It's the self-life, that human life, that humanness, that humanity that we read about earlier in 2 Corinthians and you'll read it right throughout the New Testament. This gives us freedom, why? Because it's not about what you can do. It's not about the works and the ticking the boxes and all those things I mentioned earlier. It's about just simply surrendering and saying, God, be who you are in me. If you are real, be Jesus in me. then we can love the unlovable. There should not be anybody in this society around about us or in this community that cannot feel welcomed here. Because if they don't feel welcomed, then we might as well pack it up. Because they're not gonna see Jesus because they're gonna get exactly what this stuff talks about in the world and we're no different. How does that change your soul? How does that change your life? We are meant to be, what is, what is a Christian? A disciple is a Christ follower. So it means little Christians, like little Christians, like little Christ running around the place. Like little Louis. Little Gabe's. We've got to put off. For some people that's tough. Because you've had a really tragic life. You've had stuff that just goes so wrong all the time. It's been hard to understand how to get through that stuff, but you can get through it. There are things that you need to process, there's things you need to work through, but you can get through it. 
In 2011, I was feeling really south. Something stuff was just going wrong in my head and I couldn't work out what is going wrong. And I'm trying to follow Jesus with my heart and just things were wrong. And Gabe said to me, you need to talk to someone. I need to see a professional. And I did. And I subscribed to a counsellor, a psychologist. And I started to sit down with him and had these sessions. In fact, I ended up helping him more, probably helped me. But anyway, it's another story. Indeed, he couldn't wait to see me. He wanted to visit me, he dropped around at church and that. He, he just loved, he, he blocked everything out just to meet with me and we'd just talk. It all started when Ashley left um, and went to Melbourne. <laughs> not really, it's not in you, Ash. It was in that time of everything else. No pressure, no guilt, no shame. And I just was struggling with life, struggling to get my head right. And we talked about some things and it was able to get me to work on some things and that brought me back to Scripture. I was taking on stuff. I was laying myself up, thinking that that's healthy. That wasn't. And Paul is saying this to the church, you've got to take stuff off. To see Jesus, we're going to take some stuff off. You know what? I'm going to take off this and we'll look at some of those things right now. But verse 25 says this, but since then putting away lying, we're gonna put off lying. We're gonna speak the truth each to his neighbour because we are members of one another. It goes on verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Aristotle said this, anybody can be angry, that is easy. But to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, in the right way, that is not so easy. But I think that's true of each one of these vices that we start to look at. In verse 27, do not give the devil an opportunity. This do not, don't give means not at all, not ever, not any time. Paul is adamant when we get this. Don't give the devil, not at all, not ever, not any time, an opportunity. How do we give him an opportunity? Because we allow negative emotions to rule our spirit. We start to think about what we can't fix, what we can't work with, what we can't do, and we start to worry about it. Worry is not of God. We start to doubt if God is who He is. And then maybe the devil then gains a foothold in our lives because we've got resentment and we've, we've got issues that we're, we're holding on to because we're holding on. We're not letting them go. We're holding them on. It's not meant to be that way. I've learned very quickly to get over stuff and get over people and get over situations. For my own sanity for my own wellness, my own wholeness. I surrender it to Christ. I lay it at the cross and I leave it there and I take up Christ. That's how I've learned how to do it. Maybe you have a different way that may work. When the negative emotions are allowed to control us, then the devil gets a foothold, potentially. And Paul says that you have to deal with it right away. 
Don't let it happen. The other thought we get to learn here is that the church, as believers, we are practising truth. David prayed, creating me a clean heart. You know the song, you know the psalm. Renew a right spirit within me. That was a horrible individual. We could talk about David's resume and look what's on there. Murderer, betrayer, adulterer, slanderer. You see it all. And yet we see, we read of him that God says that he's, he's a man after my own heart. When sin was brought to, to the forefront in David's life and Nathan came up to him and David said, who is this guy? And then Nathan says, you are a king. You're this guy, did this. Nathan weeps. Sorry, Nathan, David weeps. He says, oh. So one of the virtues of one, someone who's known as, as a friend of God, as a follower of God, is someone who knows how to stop in their tracks and go, you know what, this is not me. This is wrong. I need Jesus. In verse 28, the thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do an honest work with his hands so that uh, he has something to share with those who need. Verse 29, no foul language. Uh, come out of your mouth. Before I was a Christian, I swore like a trooper. You've heard me say this a couple of times. And I don't know about what it's been for you, but before Jesus, I swore like that was the only language I knew. In fact, I joke and I say I had to learn English. I was terrible. Terrible, embittered in my spirit. Horrible, foul-mouthed individual. At school, I got teachers heard it and I was locked away all the time in a room. I was so messed up, I was just messing people up around about me. I was bringing ruin to the school. No foul language is to come out of your mouth, but only that which is good. That only which is good for building up someone. Imagine we just stop there and we could just show all our words that we've said in the last week or the last month, maybe even just this morning. We put them up, we could all see it. Oh, did you say that, Gabe? <laughs> Caleb? But only that which is uplifting and building up. Corrupt talk. This speaks about that which is foul. It actually says that something is off and gone rotten. You know, when you have fruit, we have bananas and we don't eat them quick enough. And we go and we open up the drawer and there is a whole drawer full of black bananas. Sorry, Gabe. <laughs> we just don't eat them quick enough. It's not your fault. Just, I'll claim that. Caleb, so it's your fault. No. <laughs> we use them to make banana bread, that's right. You're always going to make, you know, something with this lemon juice, don't you? Lemonade. But that's what it's saying. Corrupt talk refers to that which is, which is foul and rotten and spoiled. And we go back to Psalm 141, James 3.6, Colossians 3.8. It's worthless talk, it's rubbish talk. And that's why he says, don't give the devil a foothold. Verse 30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. We get to the last two verses. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit for you are sealed by him for the day of redemption. I've read a lot of people get really doubtful here and they think, I've grieved the Holy Spirit. Unforgivable sin. I've blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. I am now not saved and a child or a daughter of God. Don't rush too quickly. 
This, means, this word grieve means to hurt, to make sorry. We know when we hurt people, I don't like it. I feel it, you feel it. Do not grieve God's spirit. Don't hurt him. If your attitudes and your actions and your practices and your words and your stealing and cheating and lying and all these, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. It actually means God becomes sad. Can you think about that for a moment? That Almighty God can become sad. But we are encouraged by what it says next, but you are sealed. You are sealed. He's got you in his hand. And we do make mistakes and we do mess up and, and things do happen, but we're reminded what to do, how to get back on track again. As I was reading in my commentaries, it said God is grieved when we fail to change. I had to think about that. When we choose not to change our ways or our attitudes, we actually could be grieving God. And then we see what the solution is and the remedy is. Paul starts off with negatives and he ends with positives. God cannot bless where he cursed and he cannot curse where he blessed. When you allow pride to stop you in the tracks, stop growing, stop focusing on those wrong, when you start to focus on the wrong things, sorry, then we restrict God. Verse 31, let all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, slander must be removed from you along with all malice. So he's encouraging us, but he's telling us, guys, got to let this go. The church in Ephesus, you've got to let this stuff go. And we read 40 years later what Jesus says to him in Revelation chapter two. Have a read of it. So some of these vices, Stott says this, six unpleasant attitudes and actions. Bitterness, resentful cynicism, or an intense hostility that sometimes is under the surface. It's like a poisoned arrow and it eats away. It digs and borrows itself into our hearts and our minds. And then there's anger, settled hostility or smouldering resentment. Wrath, the flaring up of passion and anger when it's provoked. The flaming up the tension, irritation, foolish talking, all this stuff doesn't help. Only edifying talk, words of life help. Aristotle even said this, he said, in reference to bitterness, it is a bitter and resentful spirit which refuses to be reconciled. So Hebrews warns us to deal with the root of bitterness. I have a prayer that I pray most days, particularly when I feel my spirit is shifting. It goes something like this. I have it written out and I've shared it over the years at different places and people. But Father, I pray that no circumstance or experience today will cause me to break thy law. The law of love to you and to my neighbour, that I may not become resentful, have hurt feelings, or become embittered by life's experiences, but in all and through all, I may see your guiding hand and have a heart full of love and grace and mercy and strength to see you in my day, every day. I need you most right now. Amen. I'm cleaning house. I don't want anything to stop me being what God's called me to be. Clamour is another word that you'll see in some translations that talks about a loud aggravation of assertion of rights. And then the slander and malice seems to sum all these things up and malice is all those things put together. 
He says, remove. It's to lift them up and remove them in verse 31. So where does all this pride come from? Our humanity, our flesh, our ideas, our thinking, our thoughts. And so the only way we can deal with this is to be aligning ourselves with Jesus. So pride stops us maturing. And that's why Paul starts at the front and says, with all humility. That's Ephesians chapter four. And that means to act like God, to carry and be like God. And then we get to this place in verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Forgiveness is an emotion. When we talked about the foothold before, it's an emotion. Kindness is an emotion. Compassionate is an emotion. Forgiving and love are emotions. This word kind is krestos. But it's one vowel away from Christos, which is interesting because it means that kindness and Christ-likeness go together. When we are kind, we are being like Christ. And kindness should always replace bitterness. Be completely humble. Walk worthy. Grow in His grace. Grow in His presence. And I'll close with a couple of thoughts here. So as a sum up, it's really interesting. You're going to hear, I think, next week. We've got two weeks off and then we're back into things. But Ephesians chapter 5, what does Paul start off with? Be imitators of Christ. So he's assuming we've dealt with all this stuff in chapter 4. But this is what we've learned in this chapter. We were to walk worthy. We're to put on all humility and gentleness and patience. We're to walk in love, practice unity of the spirit. We are to abide in Christ. We're to grow up not being tossed about and not become ignorant, not become proud or prideful. We're not to harden our hearts, which is what pride will do. But we allow truth to penetrate into, deep into our hearts. We're to put off everything that offends and grieves God. And we're to be walking in the newness of our minds and putting on this new self. Then we don't give the devil a foothold and we're only speaking what brings life and we get rid of everything else, all that bitterness and all that anger and all that wrath and all that malice and all that stuff. Remember he says all, not some. And then he says this to close, he goes, be kind, be pure and forgive one another. And that would be probably about a two hour message in the moments that we've had together. And I ask you this church, over these holidays that you pray for opportunities that God would speak through you and in you to someone else. Over these holidays and in whatever you're doing, wherever you are, that there may be opportunities that God will cause in your world to speak this Jesus and reveal this Jesus. We had a conversation somewhere the other day, we were having some breakfast or wherever it was, and we started talking to this lady and she started to tear up as she's serving us. People can sense Jesus in you. 
and we don't want to miss, miss that opportunity. If we're going to be effective in life, in church, as a church family, we're going to be effective in our community, we're going to be effective in our own personal walk and our faith, and I encourage you to seek and apply these truths and take on and put on. Take off and put on. This is what you do, don't give up. And don't walk away today thinking you're terrible and you're no good because exactly this is what's teaching us. It's the opposite of that. Just surrender and let Him be all that He wants to be. Let Him fill you. You'll be the best mum, the best dad anyone's ever seen. The best friend, the best partner, the best son, the best daughter, the best uncle, the best auntie, the best grandpa, Nana, you will be the best. Michael Wells, I love this quote. You've heard me say this just recently and I'm gonna close on this. There is nothing that the nearness of Christ cannot overcome. There is nothing that the nearness of Christ cannot overcome. So I close with this. In what areas could you look to surrender more? I put my hand up, I'm gonna surrender more. In everyday life, what stands out to you that needs to be put off? I'm gonna pray for you. Heavenly Father, there's so much in this chapter of Ephesians chapter four and we're certainly challenged by it. But it's not so much us trying to work this all out, but just allowing you to be who you are in us and allowing you to reign in us, that we are yielding to you, we are surrendering to you, we are submitting our lives to you. And that's all really you've asked us to do. Because when there's less of me, there's always gonna be more of you. When there's less of us, there's gonna be more of you. So I pray now for my brothers and my sisters. I pray for each and every single person, whatever the battle or the hurdle or the blockage, whatever the pain or the hurt or the grief that's holding on, it's holding them, it's causing them grief, it's causing you grief, whatever it is, that someone has said or done or not said or not done, whatever it is, Lord, we surrender it. Only then can we be that new person that you've called us to be. Walking in that newness of life and mind and spirit and heart that Jesus died for us to experience and live out. We let go of everything, Lord, that is of the flesh the carnality, the self-life, the humanity that tries to want to dominate and doesn't get this. We surrender. We surrender. And I pray for everyone, Father, as they listen to this and listen to it again, that they would just be renewed in their spirit. Rejuvenated in their spirit to see all that you are. In Jesus' name we pray. And we thank You for being with us on this journey, never leaving us, nor forsaking us. Amen. Thanks, Lily.